0: Uh, This evening, I invite you to turn back in your scriptures to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our series that we started last week. Uh, Last week was our first week in the pastoral epistles. We're going to be going through each of the pastorals, which is 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And seeing what we can learn out of Paul's words to these young preachers as Paul is addressing them, as Paul is commissioning them to become the, the next sort of generation of voices of God's truth, God's gospel in the church and for the church. And I think there's a lot that we can learn. Of course, the, the, the thing that we mentioned last time, of course, is that though that these are often the, called the pastorals because of who they were directed to, of course, these scriptures are profitable for everyone, for everyone who is in the church. And, and that's a, kind of what we saw last time is that they uphold the doctrine of the church. And such is what we're going to see tonight in our next uh, passage. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 this evening. And here really we see, I think, that Paul is, 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 is charging Timothy to hold on to this doctrine. And now he's going to charge him here in this section to not sway from this doctrine. From sound doctrine is often what he refers to it as. Let's read those verses. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 3 down through verse 11. God's word says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus... When I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Here again... Paul is writing to Timothy and this young pastor, this young preacher who is ministering at Ephesus and he's commissioning him to hold fast to this truth in the midst of a season, in the midst of a swelling storm of false teaching. ...of false gospels, what Paul would later call in the Galatians, anti-gospels. They're not even really gospels at all. And this entire letter is Paul's charge to Timothy while he is there at Ephesus, at the church there... ...ministering, preaching, and teaching. Paul, of course, has commissioned Timothy to stay there. And as we noted last time, its, it's general church history and tradition says that Timothy spent the rest of his life at this church... He commissions Timothy to stay there while he goes onward to Macedonia. You see that in verse 3 where he says, I besought thee to abide at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. A journey that is perhaps outside of the purview of the book of Acts. It's sort of an unrecorded scriptural missionary journey of Paul. But nevertheless, Paul is concerned for Timothy. He's deeply concerned. As we saw last time, he's concerned for him as his spiritual father. He has spent so much time uh, being with Timothy, ministering with Timothy, and sharing the gospel with Timothy that he has become like a father to him. And here now he's expressing his deep concern because he knows the environment in which Timothy is ministering. He knows this church of Ephesus. And he reminds him of his charge. He says, As I besought thee to abide at Ephesus... Basically, he's saying, so do I now beseech you again. It's sort of like an understood uh, sentence there. An understood one that's almost not written, but you can hear it in Paul's language. As I besought thee, when I I charged thee to be at Ephesus, I'm charging you now to stay firm in this charge. To not sway from this sound doctrine with which I have entrusted you. Stay firm in this, Timothy. Timothy. Timothy's faith was being tested... As we looked at last week, there was a uh, swirling and swelling storm of what it, what we now know as Gnosticism infiltrating the church. It wasn't necessarily known as that in this day, but it was, we have come to know it as that. It's this sense that there's this deeper level of spiritual knowledge which grants one salvation. That you have to attain to a higher level of scr- spiritual, scriptural, Christian knowledge. And this is what they, these false teachers were doing they were they were investigating as he says in verse 4 fables and endless genealogies to come up with their myths and ideas about higher spiritual attainment and this uh, false doctrine was seeping into the church it was ministering questions as he says in verse 4 also It was causing speculation, and such is why Timothy is now charged by Paul to not get distracted by that, but hold firm to the truth of the gospel. The gospel which does everything that is opposite of what these false teachers were gendering and which they were stirring up. And so in these verses here, verses 3 through 11, we have a couple of different contrasts that Paul goes through. He contrasts uh, a couple of different, uh, the false versus the true. He contrasts that, but he does so in a couple of different ways. So in verses 3 through 6, really, uh, we see Paul contrasting the words of these teachers. Contrasting words. Look at verses 3 through 6 again. He says, As I besought not thee to abide still at Ephesus... When I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. From which some having turned swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. See, here we have this contrast between speculation and sincerity. He's contrasting speculation and sincerity. He reminds Timothy here just what falsehood sounds like. Just what this false teaching does in opposed to God's truth. This new wave of church ministry was concerned with protecting And preserving the truth. That's what we know the last time. That this is sort of why Paul is writing to these two young pastors. Because he knows that there's a new uh, era of church and pastoral ministry. Not so much as evangelizing but so much as apologizing. As in defending the truth. They were to become defenders of the faith, and Timothy and his disciples were enduring this influx, this serious season of false teaching. And they were concerning themselves, as he notes there in verse four, with fables and endless genealogies. And I love how the King James translates it in verse six: "the vain jangling," which is really just frivolous discussions. And such is what these false teachers were concerning themselves with: frivolous stories. ...allegorical tales of scripture. One writer, he notes this, that they they were uh, spending their time on discourses... ...on their pretended distinctions of the law, on their traditions and ceremonies... ...on their useless genealogies and the fabulous statements which they had appended to the law of Moses these teachers were adding things to the law which had to be kept which had to be obeyed which had to be uh, perhaps acknowledged and they were they were then uh, preaching these truths as if they were doctrine they were retaining all of the records of the Old Testament, seeing who was belonging to which tribe, which was, wasn't it, gendering any way in the sense of unity. It was actually generating uh, lots of, as he says in verse 4, questions. It was generating speculation. It was generating disunity in the church. These words of the false teachers produce nothing but speculation in the church. They weren't producing anything in the way of sincerity, nothing in the way of what Paul says in verse 5, which is the end of the commandment, which is charity, which is love. And this message then was an unfounded message. It just distracted from the disciples in the church as they were trying to uh, disciple others. As this new uh, gospel was coming in and, and seeing souls saved and lives transformed. There was this message of, of Gnosticism which was distracting from this truth. Because in God's truth he shows no partiality. Again, what they were doing is they were going to the genealogies and retaining all of the Old Testament tribal records. Seeing which person belonged to which family and which persons were in sort of better favor with God because they belonged to such and such family. They were doing all of these mystical and mythical things with these, again, fables and endless genealogies. And they were trying to determine who was in a better standing with God because of who was in their bloodline. And such is the ridiculousness of their teaching because this is what the gospel eradicates. It eradicates any sense that God is more favorable to one or the other based on blood or skin type. It is all, uh, all are under favor if they are under the blood of Christ. This is what Paul was getting them to see. That these genealogies were doing nothing in the way of advancing the gospel. They were hindering the gospel. They were keeping it not able to grow and advance and expand. And this is what the devil always tries to do. You see, these false teachers were so dangerous, I think, because they were mixing a little bit of fact with their fables. They were mixing just enough truth that it sounds nice. And then when you realize what they're actually saying, you realize that it's nothing in the way of truth. This is what the devil always does. He can't destroy truth, but he can muddy it. He can mix it. He can mingle it with a little bit of error. And then it becomes nothing but error. And this is why Paul is so adamant here uh, to Timothy to teach no other doctrine. Don't get swayed, Timothy, by all these things. It can sound nice. They can make you sound more intellectual, perhaps. They can make you sound smarter. They can make you sound as if you, you really know your stuff. But Timothy, teach nothing but the doctrine of Christ. Don't teach anything else. Don't entangle yourself with these fables, with these myths, with these vain janglings, these fruitless discussions. They do nothing in the way of growing the church. They hinder the growth of the church. They distract from the truth and they run the opposite to the gospel. Teach no other doctrine, Paul says, but rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Don't teach anything other than godly edifying. Really, what he's saying there is teach the economy of God's gospel. This is the way we are edified in the truth of God, is when God's economy is ministered unto us. And this ministry of godly edifying is completely opposite of what these false teachers were doing. Because rather than speculation, rather than ministering questions, it ministered faith. Now the end of the commandment verse 5 is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. These doubts and these questions that were aroused by these fables and mythical doctrines produce nothing but speculation which is opposite of the gospel because the gospel produces faith and peace and assurance this is opposite of questioning. This is opposite of speculation. This is the sincere truth of the word which produces sincerity. That word there in verse 5, that charity, obviously we know it as the word love. And this is what the ministry of the gospel does. Timothy... Stay firm in this doctrine because the doctrine of God breeds love, not chaos. It doesn't breed speculation. It doesn't breed questions. The end of all of your Christian duty, Timothy, is to produce this love by maintaining the doctrine of God. The doctrine, as we saw last week, that Jesus is God himself. It is God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, verse 1. This is the doctrine that you are to cling to, to stay to, to uh, preach till the end of your days. This is your chief mandate. To minister the truth of God which ministers not questions but ministers love. Which ministers sincerity. Be known for this Timothy. This is how you will differentiate yourself from these false teachers. Because those in the world cannot generate the type of genuine, sincere love that these false teachers were trying to. Nothing can except for the gospel. But secondly, stay in those same verses. But instead of contrasting words, we also see the contrasting ways of these teachers. Look again at these verses. As I besought thee to abide... Still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and any genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Here we see these contrasting ways of this teaching where the false teachers ended up with nothing but wandering and the, the true teacher, Timothy, would end up with nothing but steadfastness. He reminds Timothy where falsehood ends up as opposed to where the truth ends. You see, as all of these fanciful stories were being stirred up in the church by these false teachers, again, verse 4, they were ministering questions. They were breeding nothing but doubt, which was leading to many to swerve, as he says in verse 6, and turn aside into anything that is opposite to the truth. Actually, if you look at the end of the chapter, because he says it in an even more stark way, he says in verse 19, Holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away, the same as having swerved, uh, concerning faith, have made shipwreck." They've run their faith into the ground because they've been caught up, Timothy, by all of these frivolous stories. All of this fruitless discussion has done nothing to grow them. Actually, it's actually caused them to run aground. To become useless. To actually become uh, uh, not even in part of the ministry of faith. Speculation does nothing but breed wanderers from the truth. That's what these teachers were doing. They were actually ministering so much questions that it was causing many to turn away from the faith. Causing them to turn aside, verse 6, unto false doctrine. They were inundated with this vain jangling. This fruitless discussion. Which again, has no foundation. All of this unprofitable talk. About uh, Old Testament rituals and rites and and records and birthrights and all these sorts of things. Was doing nothing to ground and fortify their faith. Such that when questions arose they had nothing on which to rely. They were groundless. They had no foundation. They were easily swayed from this truth. This is what happens when these false teachers sought to promote themselves and sought to teach things that they perhaps did not, were not able to teach. And a growing indulgence in matters other than the gospel and it caused many to swerve into false things that did nothing for their souls. Caused them to get inundated with all these frivolous discussions. And such is why Timothy is charged here to speak to men's souls. This is what our charge is as the church. When we are out ministering to others, we are not just talking to other people, we are talking to another soul. You know, that has that thought has struck me lately because I there was a there was a book I was reading. It's by an old Scottish minister, his name was Patrick Fairbairn, and he wrote a book called The Pastoral Theology. He was an evangelical dissenter uh, when, the, when the Church of Scotland was separated from uh, the, 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 uh, some, some false doctrine that was coming into the nation there. But Patrick Fairbairn, he wrote this book, and in it he, he asserts this, the very fact that as a pastor, you are not just separating lives, you are separating souls. And I've been often struck by that, that when we are preaching, when we are ministering to others every single time these doors are opened and the word of God is opened, we have souls on the line. How can we be frivolous with our talk when there are souls on the line, when there are eternal destinies at stake? How can we be careless with the words that we say? How can we be uh, so, um, so nonchalant with the things that we speak when there are souls in the balance? Such is what Timothy was charged with. Don't get entangled by these things, Timothy. You have souls in your charge. Teach no other doctrine. Remain steadfast in this truth. The truth that doesn't lead to wandering. But leads to steadfastness. This is is what keeps us steadfast. This unfeigned faith he speaks of in verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. And of faith unfeigned. This is Timothy's charge. His resolve for the gospel is to minister this unfeigned faith. Which is bred out of the gospel stay steadfast Paul was saying stay firm in this don't sway from this sound doctrine Timothy's entire ministry was to be encapsulated by these things in verse 5 the end of the commandment is charity which is love out of a pure heart purity and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. love purity and faith were to encapsulate all of what Timothy was to do in the church and us too. This leads back to what we uh, spoke about just a few minutes ago—the sincerity of our faith. This is how we showcase that sincerity through acts of love and purity and faith. And this is what keeps our faith grounded. This is what keeps our lives grounded when we are uh, putting our faith in the unfeigned faith of the One who is faithful for us, Christ Himself. When our faith is built up in the resolve for the Lord Jesus, who is our Lord, God, and Savior. This is the contrasting ways, not wandering, but steadfastness. Also, we saw the contrasting words, not speculation, but sincerity. But lastly, look at verses 7 through 11. And here we have the contrasting wisdom of these teachers. The contrasting wisdom. Look again, verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, For liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Here we have this contrast between the glory of Christ and the grandstanding, we might say, of these false teachers. It was this contrast in their wisdom. And Paul is here getting Timothy to see. Why their faith and their teaching is so flimsy. In comparison to God's truth. His quarrel is not perhaps. Paul's uh, argument here is not perhaps against these teachers themselves. But with the. Excuse me. Not with the law law itself. But with these supposed teachers of it. Because look at what they were doing in verse 7. These. False teachers were desiring to be teachers, experts on the law. But they understood neither what they said nor whereof they were affirming. They didn't understand what they were being dogmatic about. This wisdom of these false teachers was no wisdom at all. They were using the law for their own gain. As if it was a ladder to raise their position and prestige. They were using the law to prop themselves up. See, look at all the things that we are following. Look at all the righteousness that we are attaining. Look at all the things that we are accomplishing. These teachers saw themselves as advanced experts and enlightened teachers of true spirituality, true religion. They saw themselves and saw themselves as teachers of the law, it says. And they wanted the acclaim. They were desirous of all the accolades that would come uh, from being known as teachers of the law. And they're deciphering of all these old prophecies. But Paul is saying they're pretty much foolish. <laughs> these guys are just ignorant. They have no idea what they're talking about. That's basically what he's saying in verse 7. designed to be teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They have no idea what they're saying. They're using the law, but not lawfully. They're using it for their own purposes, which is completely opposite of its design. And such is why he reminds Timothy. Timothy, who of course would know the purpose of the law. He says, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. It has a good purpose. The law isn't something that we have to be offended by. Something that we have to uh, run away from. The law is a good thing. It comes from God. It has its purpose. And such is why Paul here reminds Timothy of the law's purpose. He says the law is not made for a righteous man. But for the lawless. And he goes on to sort of echo the ten commandments. In these descriptors of people who need the law. And I love how he says it's not made for the righteous man. But then he, you, you, we might just insert there. It's made for everyone. It's not for a righteous man. It's one who deems himself perfect in the eyes of God. This law that they were designed to be teachers of wasn't even for them. Because they saw themselves as better than the law. This law is for these people. Lawless, disobedient, ungodly. Sinners. That is everyone. The law is for all these people because it shows them how far below the law that they actually come. This disingenuous use of the law was trying to use it as a means of accomplishing spirituality. As a means of uh, attaining uh, higher degrees of purity and, and religion. They thought it would make them a better Christian. They thought it would make them have more favor in the eyes of God. And Paul is basically saying that that's a bunch of baloney. Because the law is not there for that. That's not what the law is for. The law is there to show you just how far from keeping the law that you actually are. These false teachers were affixing all of this mystery and moralism onto the law. And they thought themselves above the simplicity of sound doctrine. They didn't know what they were saying. They were revealing their own ignorance. Because Paul is saying that the glory of the gospel. Is that these people for whom the law is for. Is for whom the gospel comes. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Which was committed to my trust. He really bookends this section with these two things. Teach no other doctrine. Teach nothing else but which is according to the glorious gospel. It's almost this entire middle section is a parenthetical uh, thought that Paul has. Teach nothing else but this, Timothy. This is your charge. Teach this gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Hold on to that, Timothy. Don't get swayed into all these things that, that uh, people like to put onto the gospel, that like to put onto the church. Don't get distracted by it. And in contrast to all of the, the false, and, and we might say the, the sickly and the morbid uh, doctrines of these false teachers, cling to this sound doctrine. Now, this is an important word, sound, because basically it means healthy. Cling to this healthy doctrine. Or later on in the book, in chapter 6, verse 3, he calls it wholesome words. This is your charge, Timothy. Not the doctrine that makes people sick, that makes people speculate, that makes people question. Cling to these healthy words, which grow, which uh, see people grow in their faith, which see people become wise in the truth of God. Hold fast to this doctrine. In the midst of all of these swirling storms, these speeches of fables and this noise of endless genealogies cling to this doctrine, the doctrine of God, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which informs us of the lawful use of the law. Which is not to exalt ourselves, but to expose ourselves. It's not a crutch to prop up the righteous. It's not a ladder, as these teachers were using it for, to climb up to higher heavenly heights. It's a mirror for us to see our deficiencies. The law shows us how much we don't measure up, calling us to cry out for the one who does measure up. This is the lawful use of the law. This is the healthy, sound doctrine of the gospel. That all who see themselves in this law, all who see themselves as, uh, as who the law is for, they have been now given the gospel. Cling to this doctrine, Timothy. Don't get distracted. And may we not get distracted too. So easy. To want to hear something different. (laughs) To want to hear something that sounds a little bit more comfortable. That sounds a little bit better to our ears. Maybe something that's funnier. Maybe something that's easier to listen to. But Timothy was charged with preaching the healthy words of the gospel, and so are we. With ministering the, 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 the end of the law, which is charity. Which which generates all of the other things in our lives. When we are uh, founded and grounded in the truth of God. We point others to Christ. We point these lawless, disobedient, ungodly people uh, to the, the Christ who loves the lawless and the ungodly and the disobedient. Such is our ministry. Such is what Timothy was charged with. Such is what the church is charged with. May we always be a people that doesn't sway from sound doctrine, but remains firm in the healthy words of grace. Let us pray.